On this episode of In the Paint, Joe and I dive into the first week of the NBA season. We have NBA games that count and that matter now, and we've been through the first week of the season, and so Joe and I go through our three initial takeaways of the NBA season, our three biggest overreactions from the first week of the NBA season, and then also taking those things and putting them all together for you and telling you what three things are bound to change. And then we finish off the episode by talking about the college football playoff matchup between Ohio State and Clemson happening on New Year's Day, and we give our predictions, our analysis, and then finally um, a final score of the game and what we believe is going to happen. So thanks so much for listening to another episode of In the Paint. Lately you've been searching for the only one who knows what you're fighting for. I got what you want, I got what you need, I got what you need. All right, welcome back to another episode of In the Paint. I am joined, as I am every time we record, with my buddy, my hooping pal, my co-host, Joe. You played a little ball yesterday. How you feeling? You know, I I didn't shoot very well. I, I I felt like I played very well, and then for the second week in a row, like people just gotta stay away from my face, man. Like that's the money maker, last, dude. What are they doing? I know. Last week was a black guy, <laughs> elbow straight straight to the eye. And then, uh, and this week I got raked across the face, man. So, but I'm going to play today. Yeah. You know? We're going to ball today. Like and a, a scare factor there. So. Ball is life, man. Can't stop, right. won't stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah, super pumped to get back to ball. And um, I've been off for, you know, a little bit. Um, just haven't had the time and things have come up. But super pumped to play today. But anyway, we have definitely some things to talk about. Um, We'll re- quickly recap the last episode. We we didn't talk about a whole lot. I mean, there were things that were important, but it really was um, kind of just breaking down a couple extensions that had happened. Some big names got some money. Uh, we talked about Milwaukee kind of being under an investigation for the whole Bogdanovich thing and what happened. Nothing really, just a slap on the wrist. And then we really spent the bulk of the time talking about the two matchups um, that were, you know, opening night games between the Warriors and Nets and Lakers Clippers. And then we just talked about things we were looking forward to in the NBA. But moving into this week, we have a lot more to get to because the NBA is back and we've had our first week of the regular season. We have things that we can overreact about. We have some things that we can talk about, uh, you know, break down, analyze. But for the most part, um, let's kind of start off with just a few league news things that have happened recently. First off, Daryl Morey got a little little fine for some tampering that had happened That's recently. Right. That's right. I, <laughs> what, was, know, what was the initial fine? I think it was fifty thousand, maybe, is what I saw. Um, again, I I didn't do a whole lot of reading on exactly. Apparently, he had like tweeted something. Uh, about or tweeted or had texted something about a conversation that he had had, which basically turned out to be like, "Hey man, can't do that. That's tampering." Um, so again, fifty thousand dollars to Daryl Morey is just a slap on the wrist. Again, just hey, don't don't do that. You know the rules. Like stop doing that. Um, well, basically, so, he tweeted about James Harden and didn't even tweet about James Harden. He put up a graph right about uh, breaking Calvin Murphy's Rockets franchise assist record. But you can't talk about other players. Like Which Magic probably. Johnson found out, right? Like, that was one of the biggest reasons why he stopped doing what he was doing because he wanted to be able to tweet about players. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't have a pro- I actually don't think that's a big deal. Like, if Daryl Morey wants to tweet about one of the best player- scores of this generation and, like, breaking a record for his former team. But, you know, rules are rules, I guess. So, whatever. Um, so that was a small anecdote of things that happened. Some other things are definitely bigger. Um, we've had a couple injuries recently that are 
that are pretty unfortunate for the teams that they happen to. Um, one definitely more than the other, but um, talk about you know a couple of these big injuries. Well, that was one thing going into the season where you gave you a little bit of pause, right? Is you know you slam a training training camp together, you know these these incredible athletes don't get enough you know ramp time to get up in the midseason form, and and injuries happen. So, um, but. You know, we got the one that Spencer Didwitty is out with a partially, partially torn ACL. Um, he's going to miss. I mean, he might be back for the playoffs. I don't know. Like, partially torn. What does that mean? I, I feel like he still has to have surgery. still has to go through the entire process. So, um, you know, I think that's a huge blow to the Nets, uh, giving them another ball handler. And, you know, he's a good player. I mean, he, he took that team to the playoffs last year, and that's where a playoff team last year. And uh, he was a big part of that. So, and the other one, this one looks scary to begin with, and uh, real glad to see that. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully he'll be all right in a few weeks. Yeah, back to the the. Uh, you're right. Everything you said about the Dinwiddie, I definitely echo. One thing that like I didn't think about initially, and then I started to think more about it was not that we ever actually believed that the Nets were the the suitor for James Harden, but this massively takes away the trade value that they had in that trade. Um, oh. I didn't you even think about that. You can't really trade away Spencer Dinwiddie on a par- partially torn ACL when he's not playing this year for the most part and say, hey, take this as part of – he was one of the biggest reasons for that – or you know, biggest pieces in that trade package along with Karis LeVert, and now you can't really bring that to the table. So this almost all but takes the Nets out of that chance, even though I don't think they needed him anyway now after what we've seen. But this almost all but kills that trade value and trade package. Um, so that's a bummer, but yeah, overall, just a bummer for that. And then the second one, we saw this and we both, like you just mentioned, initially I was like, oh, that jaw just shattered his ankle. Like, that's it. I mean, he was on the ground. He, well, first of all, he like, he gets up or after he lands on, he kind of like, he hobbles and hops over to the sideline, like to that big empty area that teams now have, um, right before the locker room. And so he, he does that. And then, then he gets a wheelchair. And then it's like, oh, he can't put any weight on that. And hopefully you, like, want to watch guys, like, kind of limp off or hobble off. He couldn't even put any weight on it. No, he couldn't. So that's a bummer. Um, Think it's going to be really, really bad. Think it's probably broken. And then you find out that it's just a really, really bad sprain. Yeah, don't don't sleep on the sprain, though, man. Like, he can't rush back. He's got to be 100% going on because, you know, you know, this as a baller, once it happens once and you have to roll it, uh, or you roll it once, it's so much easier to do again, especially if it's not, you know, 100%. So, like, you know, he he should be out and take his time and uh, don't do the Grant Hill thing, uh, you know, where you rush back and, and you end up, you know, really hurting yourself. So, No, for sure. Yeah, it, this is one of these. And, again, I, you know, I know Memphis really wanted to make a push and, and really wanted to be in the playoff picture. But, again, they're so young that, like, the window is – is going to be open in terms of making the playoffs. The window is going to be open for a while. So, like, do, again, don't rush this dude back because he's so dynamic. He needs that. He needs that ankle to be as healthy as possible. Um, so let's let's slow him back. And you know, they, if they don't make the playoffs this year, you know, it'll they'll be all right um, in the future. Keep him healthy. Now, this last one I thought was just completely awesome. Um, so cool. So cool. Yeah, yeah. Greg Greg Popovich gets uh, ejected last night. Uh, or some calls, which uh, I love Pop. I think he's the greatest coach uh, to ever coach basketball, in my opinion. 
it's uh, to me, it's not necessarily as clear cut as like the LeBron thing being the greatest of all time. But if you give me like a season, uh, give me Popovich or anybody else like to figure it out. Right. So but anyways, he does get ejected. He does have a short fuse sometimes. And then Becky Hammond steps in there. And uh, how awesome was it like seeing her like I mean, she's already in timeouts and stuff like that. But, you know, standing up, like calling out plays. And, uh, and just the respect for his uh, first uh, woman. Not only was she the first woman to make an NBA staff, now she's the first one to actually be a head acting head coach in a game. So cool. Yeah, just um, I – so I was watching several games off, you know, kind of like flipping back and forth, and I saw her like calling out a play. And I just thought like maybe – and this is not to diminish what she does, but I thought maybe like Pop just sometimes like sits down on the bench and like kind of lets her take over and do some things, you know, at times, which he's done in like preseason and summer league, which like again makes sense. It's normal. But then I then I go on Twitter and I find out that like dude got ejected and and apparently after the game she did a press conference and she talked about it and she said she had no idea it was going to be her and he just pointed at her and said, you got this. And she was like – Oh shit, here we go. And like what yeah. a moment though, right? Like what a moment. And that's just so pop though. Like it could have been something where he was like brings her aside and is like, "All right, here you go. You're going to He just goes, "Nope, you got this." Cuz that's pop. That's what he does. Yeah. He's man of man of very little words and um but yeah, and but I love the man to death just what he stands for, what he um his social, you know, activism and all this stuff and his how he speaks out of out against things. And then this was just awesome. And so to see her, you know, stand up there, call the plays, be confident. And I'm sure, I know, I don't know, I didn't watch the end of the game because the Lakers kind of pulled away. But I'm positive if this was a non-COVID world and, like, other players interacted with, like, other coaches, I'm sure LeBron would have gone up and, like, given her a big hug and, like, really respected what she just did because LeBron's a trailblazer and now she can – Jenna Wolf on um, First Things First this morning, I caught a clip of it. She was like one of the very first female reporters to like go in locker rooms with all with all mm-hmm. men and talk to them. And she said, she said, I took a second and I looked around and thought, I don't know if this is going to be the norm. It probably will. But right now, this is really cool. And so for Becky Hammond, you can say, maybe this will be the norm. Maybe it never will be. But like right now, this is really, really awesome what I'm doing right now. And so she made history and you can never take that away. Um so we've got Sarah Fuller kicking field goals at Vanderbilt, and now we've got Becky Hammond coaching in an all-men's NBA league. So, like, that's awesome, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, it was. And LeBron did say something uh, in his post-game press conference about uh, Becky Hammond and, and everything, and it was very cool. So did um, uh, DeRozan and everybody just had, you know, amazing, awesome things to say, which was sweet. And uh, I'm just throwing out this throwing this out there Matt, just because like you know we both love pop but you know pop 2024 i mean come on him and him and steve kerr on a ticket man let's get it yeah <laughs> i don't I'm, know who I, would be the president I'm, but <laughs> I'm, I, I'm voting for that i mean yeah i love vote. i love both those people and what how they talk and what they stand for so no let's get it let's get a popovich kerr 2024 ticket going right now <laughs> And at some point, I love LeBron on there, you know, too. LeBron CP ticket at some point, too. There you go. Um, no, so speaking of those great players and just all those those coaches, um, let's talk about the first week, Joe. Um, we've got to see some, few, uh, you know, what, four, a lot of teams have played four games, mostly three or four games. Yeah. And so um, sample size is starting to get bigger. Yeah. 
we're going to uh, clearly overreact because there's only been four games. So everything we say, obviously, there is a, there is a disclaimer of, hey, we know it's only been four games, but we're going to do what we got to do, and we're going to overreact to some things. Um, but let's start first. We're going to do three three initial takeaways. These are not overreactions, just things that, and maybe they end up being, but three things that we just noticed off the rip um, from watching the first week of, of basketball. Joe, I'll let you start. Um, I know you have a couple more than three, but that's okay. Um, no, there's there's a lot of things to take away. So Joe, start us off. All right, I'm gonna start with my most exciting one though, and uh, three take three takeaways. Number one, my sons are making the playoffs. Yes, let's go. Oh, it's been like <laughs> a 10, 11 year drought now. I think 2010 was the last time that they did it at the yeah. very tail end of Steve Nash before he went to join the Lakers and he had a shattered back. Um, you know, just a super exciting time seeing these guys come together. Um, Aiden looks good. Booker, man, is there a smoother score right now? I mean, obviously, like, KD and stuff. But, like, he's just, like, it's awesome to watch him. Uh, and he's got a great handle as well, too. And then uh, Chris Paul tying in together and showing these guys how to win a little bit is pretty sweet. And uh, they're playing some good defense. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm super pumped. You know, if they can get they can get into that seventh or eighth spot, which I, I really think they will, um, it's, it's just a lot of fun to watch. I, I want to see why I, I want to see Aiden get more touches though. Still, so that's one thing I want to see. Yeah, we we will continue to to hammer the bell on that one. We believe that Aiden just needs more more action everywhere. Um, and and not that like he won't, but we he's gotten more already, but he needs more. He just. He's so I don't want to say he's raw, but he seems so raw because he's just not getting the the run that he needs to. Um, so let's continue to get him more touches because he's so damn talented. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. Um, okay, no, I love that first one. I also agree with it. I believe that they are making the playoffs. Um, my first initial takeaway, just from watching again four games, is the Lakers have a different a different vibe this year. Um, not that they don't play good defense, but so far they've played. Eh, defense, but they're just outscoring everybody because they're so efficient offensively. Um, and so my initial takeaway is I feel like this year is a switch where the Lakers are going to be decent and good defensively, but they're just going to be so much better offensively. They're just going to outscore everybody. Um, and I don't care if a team scores 110, the Lakers can score 120 with their eyes closed. And and then when they want to use the, the trump card of putting AD at the five and play really, really well defensively, they can. So it's just... It's unfair what they can do offensively and then make a switch to be defensive as well. So I just think the Lakers are going to outscore everybody regardless. Bringing in uh, Dennis Schroeder is just so massive for them because now you have a third guy that can go out and get 20 points a night, like in various ways, create and get his own shot. And then you combine that with Harold who can do the same thing, but in a power forward type um, scenario. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like there, there's so many scoring options and they can do it in a variety of different ways. Um, you know, we talked about this last night and a lot of people say, oh, well, you can't play Harrell in the fourth quarter of playoffs. That's that's not his role. Like you, don't, you won't need to at that point. You know what I mean? Like his role is to come in, play his 25 minutes a game and, uh, and score 18 to 20 points, which, uh, you know, he's going to do so. Yeah, you'll play him like the first nine minutes of the fourth, and then he'll just sit the rest because they'll be up 15, and then they need defense, right? Like, Or up 10, yeah. and then they need defense. So 
his role is get you 20 and then just just let it ride. The re- you know, let, take a seat and let the, the rest of the team ride at the end. Um, which we're, we knew in, in Los Angeles with the Clippers, like they couldn't do that because they needed his offense, but the Lakers won't need it as much. So they'll let him sit, um, you know, towards the end. So they're, they're in a, just a great spot. Yeah. <laughs> Next one I got. Um, we got some big men, some centers who look like they're MVP, like ready, like, so I'm going to say I think Jokic and Embiid will both finish in the top five MVP. Um, Embiid averaging three more shots a game. Did you know that, Matt? Three more shots a game. He's shooting better free throws. He's shooting better three-point percentage. Um, he's uh, getting to the line more often. He's averaging almost 14 rebounds a game. Uh, dude looks motivated and ready to go. So um, hopefully – you know, this is a year where he really, really does break out. And then Jokic, I mean, what do you have the other night? Like 28, 16, and 14, something stupid like that? I mean, so dumb. Just, yes. Yeah, so dumb. And, you know, Jamal Murray's kind of come back down to earth a little bit. But, uh, you know, he's still there. And, you know, it was great seeing him at ESPN's little top 10 ranking or whatever. But I feel like he's going to be a top five MVP finish, man. Yeah, I uh, they've both played so well that like I no one honestly can argue where they're at right now in terms of like just best players in the league. They're playing both of them playing so well, and this is the the Joel Embiid that like I account for when I put the Sixers top three, top four in the East. Right? Sure. Like if you get this Joel Embiid night in night out, which I'm not saying you even have to, but if you get it more nights than not, this is a team that can absolutely contend for the Eastern Conference Finals, no doubt. Yes, because um, there's no one like him. There's no one like as as big and as athletic like as he is in, in that sort of way. So you're right. And through four games so far, he has put that together. I mean, finally we're seeing it. It's just a matter of is, is it sustainable or are we going to get the thing at the end, you know, when he has a bad game where he just says, I've just got to play better, you know? Yep, yep. Of, you're, you're spot on. Totally right. Yeah. Um, okay, my second one, just blowouts. I mean, and I we knew this was – I don't know if, it, if we thought it was going to be this severe, but we knew it was going to happen, right, with just everything that's going on. We knew there was going to be nights where guys just went cold and then they were tired and they just didn't have all the, the, the rust off and they were just going to get blown out. Um, so it, it's not that I'm shocked by it. I think I'm just shocked by the uh, the number of mar- – like the margin of victory of some of these games, like the Clippers losing by 51 – um, last night, the the Mavericks lose by like 32 to the Hornets. Um, I think we're yeah. going to see more often than not this year when teams get down like late third, early fourth, and they're down 20, they just wave the white flag because they know they might have to play a back-to-back pretty soon or they're playing three games in four nights or five nights, whatever. And I'm not necessarily saying I'm okay with it, but I'm going to get it just because it's a sprint and you don't want to – Here's the deal. You don't want to try to fight back down 25 in the late third, early fourth, knowing that you have a back-to-back, and you might be just dead for the next game. So you wave the white flag, and then you say you cut your losses, and you go, all right, we'll try again tomorrow night, or whatever the case is. So it's just it's just shocking. The, the, the elite teams are the better teams that are getting blown out. That's what's scary. That's what I was going to say. This is the two that you just mentioned, the Mavs and Clippers, those are like, high-end Western Conference teams that you expect to make the playoffs. Like, if The, you, the if Heat we on the east, the east side with the Heat, I mean, they got beat yeah. by like 35 the other night or two nights ago. 
So yeah, and then they came back and win last night. So they yeah. get the same team. So it's just it's all over the place, man. And I and I think you're right. Like it's just gonna be really, really hard, especially in this first month of the season, to to get a grasp and a hold on pretty much anything. So um, Yeah, the the whole betting landscape of the NBA has been interesting. I haven't touched anything just because I knew it was going to be crazy. But, like, here's a stat for you. I think I saw this yesterday or late last night. Any team that's doing the back-to-back, like the same teams that are playing each other back-to-back just on a technically neutral yeah. court. I mean, it's not neutral, but it is. Um, the first team to win, so, like, for example, the, the Bucks and the Heat, like you brought up. So two nights ago they play. The Bucks win by, like, 35. And then the next night, the Bucks were favored again by like five, and then the Heat win outright and cover. So every team that has lost the first matchup has then covered the next night easily. So I think it's like three and zero or four and zero. So just a, like a weird betting trend that normally you don't have to even think about because teams aren't playing the same team again the next night. So it's just all weird to me. But the betting trends are just make no sense. So so don't do it. Don't even don't lose your money. Just watch the games. Don't bet them. Right. Anyway. Okay, my third one I want to touch on here. Um, the Warriors are terrible, man. Like, they are so bad. And and you got to feel for Seth right now. And hopefully when Draymond comes back that, you know, they have some semblance of. But this, is, this isn't just losing, like, Clay. Like, this is just losing almost your entire identity of what made you a great team, right? When you bring in, like, Oubre and Wiggins. So, like, um, <laughs> and both of them both of them are such terrible shooters that you can't play both of them at the same time and expect to do anything. Um, but I will say this. Wiseman is going to be a star, man. Like, you think about how little he knows the game and how little he's actually played. That if he... If he really, I mean, three games, right? He played at Memphis, I think. Three games at Memphis, is that right? Um, Like, he's still raw, but, like, it's all there. And if he continues to work, he's going to be a superstar in this league. Yeah, that one of the biggest things that I'm noticing is, like, first game, we both kind of texted back and forth, and we're like, he's raw. Second game, it was like, oh. Third game, you're like, oh, shit, he... He figured this out real quick. <laughs> yeah. Um and he he's just so because he's seven, you know, seven one or whatever, seven foot, and he he's athletic, he can he can handle the ball a little bit, and that dude can that dude is not afraid to shoot jumpers either. And nope. um and he's hitting them. And so yeah, you're while the while the Warriors are garb hot garbage, he is great. And maybe the only bright spot on that team. Because at one point, I'm looking, trying to look up the stats right now. At one point, Ubre was 0 for 32 on shots outside the restricted area. He was, yeah. He finally hit some shots the other night. So now he's, well, I didn't see if they were actually shots, but he was 6 for 10 and, well, he was 1 for 4 from 3. So I can at least tell you he is now 1 for 36 from outside the restricted area. And hopefully some other of those other field goals went in. But like, like, what are we. How are they that bad? Like, are just Wiggins and Ubre themselves. How are they that bad? You know, they're super, super athletic. You had high hopes kind of for both of them coming in the league, especially Wiggins. And they've just never really, you know, put it together and developed. And then you watch what Ubre's doing now, and you're thinking, like, and, like, 
you're thinking about when he was in the Suns and he was matching eight and shot for shot attempts. Like, how ridiculous was that? Like, even looking at that, you know, in hindsight now. So, um, I think he could be a – he tries harder on defense. You had pointed that out before than Wiggins does, which is great. And if he were able to shoot and he – here's the thing. Both those guys just need to accept their role and just do it. Yeah. I mean, the fact that that Wiggins – I mean, even Steve Kerr said it. He was like, we need him to be the fourth option, which is sad for a max player to be the fourth option. But that's just that's where his effort and his production is right now. He's a he's yeah. a third or fourth guy on a on a really good team, except this year now he's the second guy on a really bad team. And they're really bad because he's the second guy. <laughs> exactly. So unfortunately that's where they're at. All right, I'll round this out. This is not a shock. Oh, I, I guess it shouldn't be a shocker. I think it's a shocker at how well he's played, but KD's already in MVP form and he's just smooth and he's back. Um the most important thing for the Nets this year was get KD to look healthy and look normal, and he does. And man, it's it's a it's a pleasure to watch. I don't have much more to say. He's smooth. He's a bucket every time he puts the ball up, and he looks healthy. And that's just scary for everybody else. It is. Um, you know, he's he's coming back. He looks really good, really good, and he's coming back with a vengeance. And you and I talked about this a little bit last night. Um, so I just, if it's all right, I'm going to bring it up, but. You saw that piece that Draymond uh, basically said that article about, you know, why and how Durant left the Warriors. Um, and basically it came down to he didn't feel like he was getting the respect and things that he deserved after beating LeBron in the finals twice. So, um, and on one hand you're like, well, yeah, you, you did do that, KD. Like, good job. Um you know, and he thought, wait a minute, I'm the best player, not LeBron. Like, I just beat his ass twice. You did, but you went to a 73-win team with future Hall of Famers, you know, who had already won a championship and then did it against a LeBron and depleted Cavs team. I mean, you, you did what you were supposed to do. They brought you in to do that. It wasn't like you carried a team to the finals or to the precipice. I mean, this team, or it's not even that this was a team that was on the precipice and you carried them over the finish line. Like they had already won a title. So, you know, people feel like you shortchanged the system a little bit, Katie, like you really did. And, and I'm not saying that Katie isn't, he is the second best player in the league. Like there's, there's no question about that. Right. I agree. But yeah, but, uh, to, to say that he's better than LeBron because he's won the last two and he's two and one against LeBron in in the finals, which remember the Heat beat the Thunder back when you know Durant, Durant got them there once, um, is is kind of a reach. So he goes to Brooklyn. Um, he convinces Kyrie to join him, which uh, that's that's funny that they have the same. It's, it's the exact same sidekick that LeBron had. And, and now they, you know, they might meet in the finals and we'll see what happens. But um, he's on a tear. He's on a vengeance. And, uh, yeah, he, he looks like MVP form. And I wasn't sure that was going to happen. So it was, it's really awesome to see, actually. Yeah, I echo everything you said. He, uh, he clearly wants his respect. Um, and he thinks the best way to do that is to take the exact same route LeBron did. So um, I'm not sure if that's going to get him the respect he wants because – 
you're kind of just copying the formula that's already been set out. But um, there, there is a scenario, and you brought it up, there is a scenario where let's say he beats LeBron head-to-head and now he has four, and then let's say he gets another one and maybe he has five. KD, I mean. Um, there is a scenario where he is in the same conversation of, of LeBron, um, Jordan, and hit and and KD like those three are kind of on a mountaintop by themselves. There absolutely is a, is a scenario where that happens. The sure. problem is is there is no scenario where I think he ever passes Jordan or LeBron in that conversation, and definitely not LeBron in my opinion. So good for him if he can get into that upper echelon of like the elite three or elite four or whatever you want to call it. But um, that's probably his ceiling, you know. So. But that's an elite ceiling, and you can't be mad about that. So, like, um, if no, he can make can. it to that, which I think he's 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 gonna knock on the door at some point of that of that ceiling. Um, like, shout out to him and kudos to him because there is a point where everybody, other than Jordan, but Jordan had needed help too. He didn't join help, but he recruited help and got help. There is a there is a point where it's like everybody needed help. Um, maybe they didn't need the amount of help that KD that KD ended up having, but everybody needed help. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that sometimes that's used against you. So remember that when you go and ask for the help. Yeah. The problem I had with KD, which was so different than, than anybody else, I feel like, is that like they had already, like I said, they had already won 73 games. And the year before that, they had already won a title. Correct. So you're not, you're not building anything. Oh, right? no, no. Yeah, you joined. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and yes, you can point out, well, you know, LeBron did the same thing, you know, by joining the Heat and getting Bosch and Wade. Well, yeah, maybe a little bit to, to some extent, but, you know, the Cavs weren't also down 3-1 against the Heat. Or it's, the Cavs weren't up 3-1 against the Heat and then um, and then couldn't seal the deal and then LeBron went and joined them. I mean, how much worse would that have been for the decision? Like Exactly. No, you're right. So, so You're spot on. Like, but you can't take away... Katie's talent as a as a scorer and as a defender right now. Oh my gosh. That that level of his game, he he clearly wanted to focus on and he has lifted that to a, a different level, man. Like the rim yeah. protection and just the like shot blocking ability that he has is is really is really impressive. Yeah. So no, we agree. Um respect him, but like there's always going to be that kind of asterisk and caveat of like, Hey man, you joined a 73 win team. It's like good for you, but hold on, hold on a second. All right, Joe, we obviously are going to do this because everybody does this after three or four games of basketball, but let's make some, let's overreact a little bit. Let's from what we've seen, let's make some overreactions here. Um, some of them may end up not being overreactions. They may be spot on, but like right now they might be considered overreactions. But let's jump into it, Joe. What is your first overreaction from the first week of the NBA season? Hawks are a playoff team and really, really good. And Trey Young is an MVP candidate. Those are mine. And listen, Trey Young, obviously a great talent. Really fun to watch what he does. Um, like he's got the basketball on a string. And uh, he's he's an elite passer. Actually, he's actually a really really good passer. Has great court vision. Um, but this team still can't defend. You know, I mean, they still when it comes down to it, you know, if I guess they could technically make the playoffs in the East, like that is a possibility. But like, they're not a threat to anybody. So. 
Yeah, watched them last night against Brooklyn, and they just couldn't get stops when they needed to, and Brooklyn could. Um, I know the game was like 145 to 141, so clearly um, one of my things that I t- took away from the initial takeaways that I like was going to talk about, but I moved it, was the Nets' defense is going to be atrocious. It's just not good. Um, I know they have, yeah, I know they have KD, but outside of that, they just struggle a lot to defend anybody off the dribble. Like everybody can kind of just do whatever they want. Um, and so watching that game last night, I'm like, oh boy, this is, this is maybe where both these teams have to end up is just trying to outscore everybody. Now, situationally, you can put Durant on somebody and he can lock them down and like, that's what you need. But overall, both those teams are terrible defensively. However, um, the, the thing you said, Trey Young is playing at an elite level, and the Hawks right now, if they can keep that up and you know just can go wherever they want to go, the sky's the limit. Um, one thing about Trey Young though is he's he's starting to push into that James Harden type conversation where when he doesn't have the ball, he completely doesn't give a shit what goes on. Yeah, he completely checks out, right? Yeah, I mean, whereas whereas opposed to someone like uh, Steph Curry who doesn't have the ball is just constantly moving, he's constantly coming off screens, he's back cutting. And you have to find him instead of just standing there. Um, yeah. yeah, the the Nets' defensive issues. I, I I completely agree with you. You know, and then you look at like, you know, you say, well, you know, they have a. Uh, I forget their center's name. Oh my goodness, uh, Jared Allen. Or are you talking DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan? Yeah, DeAndre Jordan. Um, great rebounder, good shot blocker. I don't know what the advanced metrics say about his defense, though. And we haven't seen him in a while. So, yeah. you know, but they are. That's that's going to be the struggle for them is defensively. So Yeah. Uh, my first overreaction, and this might make you happy, Joe. It may end up being really bad. But um, I think the Cavs are going to make the playoffs. And right now, in my opinion, it's not even close. Colin Sexton is the most improved player in the NBA. And I am. I want to make very clear, I am somebody last year who sh- – who shit on Colin Sexton. I thought he was atrocious. I thought the draft pick was a mistake. I I was like, trade him, get whoever you can for him, package him with Kevin Love and get somebody else. And now him and Darius Garland, who Cleveland fans are now calling Sexland, which I think is hysterical because both of them together is is Sexland apparently. But um, Colin Sexton has looked incredible. and, And the Cavs, if that can hold up, they're making the playoffs. That's all. That's an overreaction. I mean, but Sexton has looked that <laughs> he's looked so much better. Yeah, like it's it's night and day. So uh, you know, and he was super super young, and he came into you got to remember he came in right after the LeBron year when J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson, those guys were actually still on the Cavs to start the season, coming off just you know four straight NBA Finals appearances, and. Uh, and they were like, dude, like, you don't have it. You don't understand what it takes to win. And you got to wonder if they actually ever just even gave him a chance. I don't know. So, yeah. but he looks good. For sure. Okay. Uh, overreaction so far. Uh, Clippers chemistry. Ty Lue fixed everything. Clippers are the team to beat in the NBA Finals. Like, you know, all their issues were solved in that one coaching change and getting Serge Ibaka. So, uh, they're the best team. Yeah, I mean, you watch the first couple games and you're like, oh, this is all happening without Marcus Morris? Like, this team's NBA Finals ready and they're going to be the best team in the West. And then the Mavericks happen. And you're like, oh, yeah. wait. 
<laughs> what the hell's what the hell's wrong? <laughs> They have a 50 point loss. So, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, I mean, the first couple games, you're just like, oh shit, this team is elite and the, they're the ones to beat. Right. But it's an overreaction. Of course. That's what it. we're here for, yeah. you know? Right. Exactly. Um, this may not be an overreaction. I think it is just because I don't think it's true. But, like, Nets are the best team in the NBA. Um, and I'm saying this obviously knowing I don't believe it. But, like, when you watch the games, the first couple games, I know they're now three and two after losing, you know, twice to, or once to Memphis and once to, um, you know, whatever, I think it was, uh, the Hornets, but the, the first two games you're like, uh Oh, this team won't, won't lose. And we knew yeah. that's not true, but I just saw after the first two games, they were the best team in the NBA. So I don't have much to say other than that. No. And I mean, they, they're super deep. They, they looked really good. And, uh, the issue is 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 going to be their scoring, like you said. Yeah. So, or or their defense. Sorry. Yeah, the, the ability to not stop yeah. the other team from scoring. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Their defense is going to be atrocious. So, um, and the last one I kind of had was coming out of the gate, Bucks struggled. They didn't look too good against uh, really not so great teams. So, um, so their cohesiveness, their their unity, um, they're going to be okay. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that, obviously, in the next p- portion of what we talk about, like things that are bound to change. Um, right. Which we're going to basically take the three overreactions we just made and then kind of contradict them and say, hey, wait, these aren't actually true. But, um, no, you're right. They'll be fine. Uh, they, they can't not be fine with what they did and what their what their team is. Um, yeah. Like, I just – I think it's impossible for them not to be fine. Uh, okay, this third one really hurts me to say um, because – what I'm about to say will will be baneful because of the person that I've supported for so long. Um, and a buddy texted me this, and I thought about it really long and hard, and I, and I don't think I can disagree. Um, he texted me and he said, if the Warriors are terrible this year, which it looks like they're going to be, and they've already started yeah. this way, and we know, you know, Steph is going to end up being one of the most overrated superstars ever in this league. And I initially was, like, really pissed. And I was like, no, dude, fuck you. Like, Steph's awesome. Like, screw that. And then the more I thought about it, he started throwing things at me. He was like, Harden's a walking playoff berth. KD is a walking playoff berth. LeBron's a walking playoff berth. And he starts throwing out these names. And all those guys are superstars, right? Like, here we go, here we go. And then I'm like, oh, crap. I thought Steph was a walking playoff berth. You know what I mean? And I think one of the most overrated superstars is probably a bit much, but it's because point guards, right? Did any of those names I mentioned weren't point guards. And point guards always struggle to be the leader and sole provider of a team. They've never won. Like, think about it. Teams that have, that the point guard is the best player on the team rarely ever win championships and rarely ever are just like solely the the biggest success story of an NBA season. They need other people that are on par or better than them. And I think Steph is going through that. Like, hey man, I'm just the point guard. I need scoring from other things than just a just the point guard, you know, position. And he's not going to be one of the most overrated superstars, but the, but the conversation's going to come up of like, we rated this guy. Some people have him as like top 10 already or top 15 already, which I think I'm in that camp, but there may be a conversation of like, oh man, maybe we, maybe we need to take a step back and realize that 
that it's not just that being a point guard and being the number one superstar doesn't always produce to winning. Yeah. Uh, the, the list is real short, kind of like you said, exactly what you said of point guards who are the best player on their team and lead that to a title team. I mean, like, 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 let's name them. Detroit, maybe? Like but even then, Thomas? I mean, I don't even know, like, yeah, with Isaiah Thomas, but even then, it's like he had so many other good people that are on par with him that I'm like, the only, I mean, Magic Johnson, but he had Kareem. <laughs> like, and James Worthy uh, and Michael Cooper. And, yeah. So I'm just saying, like, the, the point guard elite position to win a title is just... You know, it's it's not necessarily there by themselves. It's tough. And uh, I don't, I mean, to me, it doesn't take anything away from Steph. I mean, he's one of the best at his position of all time. I mean, he's, he's still going to be that way, whether, you know, he wins again or not. Uh, you know, I mean, dude's got three titles. So, right. And, uh, and two MVPs. However... You have to wonder, though. I mean, like, why why can't he get them at least an eighth seed? Yeah, no, that's that's the question. Like, I'm not saying he has to get him to the four seed, but I do want to see him get in regardless. Because yeah. if you're if you're supposedly on the same level these other guys I mentioned earlier, you got to do it. And it sucks that like that's the expectation, but it is. So. Yeah, because if you put, I mean, if you put LeBron on those Warriors. You put Harden on those Warriors. You put Durant on those Warriors. They're making the playoffs, right? Like you don't have a question about that. The only one that I might push back on is Harden, but the other two, sure. KD and LeBron, they're making the playoffs, no doubt. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've already seen the the KD thing, but but like the LeBron thing, yeah. I mean, like there's no we've doubt. We've already seen LeBron carry teams that had no business being in the finals multiple Correct. times. No doubt. No. All right, so let's take all these things that we just talked about specifically, I assume probably the overreactions and then let's kind of, let's kind of bring them back to, all right, let's, let's regress to the mean. Let's, let's talk about things that are bound to change based off what we've just talked about. Yeah. Um, you know, I brought it up in the other one with the overreaction, Trey Young, MVP, uh, in the Hawks made the playoffs. It came home to roost almost last night when they just couldn't get stops. Right. I mean, they gave up 145 points in a regular season game. Uh, to the Nets. Great offensive team, yeah, but come on. Like, can't get stops when it matters. So the Hawks' defense is going to regress to the mean, and they're not making the playoffs. Yep, you're right. I mean, it, again, four games is a small sample size, but we've we've been blessed with people overproducing and overachieving, and they'll regress. Um, I, after I just said the Cavs are going to make the playoffs and Colin Sexton is the most improved player, I will say that the Cavs will learn to suck again and they will end up being not very good and they will not make the playoffs and it will be back to normal and what we believe is supposed to happen in the NBA. <laughs> so nothing other than the Cavs will uh, figure out how to be bad again. Uh, this one. <laughs> <laughs> Budenholzer, like... I brought this up because I was thinking about it yesterday. And if they continue to struggle, like, and you don't see the, and this team doesn't get one of the top two seeds of the East, like halfway through the season, they're just kind of, you know, treading water and are just kind of meh there. Is there a chance that he gets 
fired? Yes, 100%. Like, and that's not something that I would have thought about, I don't know, last year. But this year, I'm just like, like, if you can't get it done with this team, then you're just not the right guy. And, like, I know he won 60 games with some Hawks teams that really didn't have a superstar. And, like, I know he's had some regular season success and he's won playoff series here and there. But, like, I'm not saying he's not a good coach, but I don't know if he's a coach that can get you to that next level. So is there a chance that halfway through the season, the Bucks say, you know what, now nah, this isn't the guy. And then they just try to not necessarily start over, but get a fresh voice in there. Because I mean, what do you do when you've had so many playoff losses in a row that you shouldn't have lost? So it's the Dwayne Casey thing, right? Like, yeah. Dwayne Casey got the Raptors to the Eastern Conference Finals or semis every year, and then they just ran into LeBron, and they thought, maybe there's just another guy that can get us over the hump or at least even compete against LeBron. And then LeBron goes out west, and then they end up making the finals, and that's fine. But I believe Nick Nurse was the right choice and the the best guy for the job. But it's the Dwayne Casey effect of there's got to be somebody better that can get us over the hump, and and maybe, maybe that's without Budenholzer. He just doesn't, in the playoffs especially, he doesn't squeeze every ounce of it. He squeezes it out in the regular season. But in the playoffs, he doesn't squeeze every ounce out of his players as far as, like, you know, setting rotations and strategizing in your in-game adjustments and your game-to-game adjustments. It's kind of almost like, okay, this is the way we're going to play and this is how we're going to do it. And, like, and even if we struggle, like, we're still going to do the exact same things because this is who we are which there has to be a mix. Like, you have to be able to make some adjustments as a coach, and I don't, just don't think Budenholzer does that. Yep, I completely agree. Um, my second one is the Nets will inevitably go through a rough patch, um, whether that is locker room stuff, like people start kind of questioning whether they should be the guy, or and I'm not even talking KD Kyrie. I think Karis LeVert at some point is going to get a little impatient um, with being the sixth man but having averaged you know 25 or so points last year. Um, or, you know, without Spencer Dinwiddie now, they might go through a rough patch defensively. So I don't know what it's going to be, um, but they will go through a rough patch. And it might not even be wins and losses. It might just be growing pains. Um, so, yeah. They have uh, they have an interesting locker room. And with a brand new coach. Young coach, by the way. And that's, a, that's always a little cause for concern. Uh, an interesting locker room. And... Uh, you know, three things bound to change. My last one is the, uh, the Clippers. I feel like the same thing. They're going to at some point run into the exact same issues that they did last year. Um, as far as chemistry and people, uh, you know, either not working hard or, you know, distancing themselves from the team, <coughs> Kawhi, <coughs> Paul George. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so they're going to go through that thing. Yeah. I, Nothing to add there. I completely agree. I also don't think they addressed any of the issues in terms of like team quality that they needed to to be able to compete with the Lakers. So that's going to make them frustrated again, and they're going to end up losing in the semis or the finals to the Lake conference finals to the Lakers, and it'll be the same thing again. And my last one is Lamelo is going to continue to get minute more minutes each game, and that will mean that he is going to improve each game. Um, we obviously, and I'm somebody who who campaigned and pushed for him to be rookie of the year and it started out rough and now he is no longer the betting favorite i mean he might have been actually after last night i'm not sure 
But Wiseman and Anthony Edwards kind of overtook that top spot. Um, he's still third in, in terms of odds the last time I checked. But anyway, he got 29 minutes last night. Part of that is because they were blowing out the Mavs. But he got 29 minutes. He shot 70% from the field. He shot 90% from three. Um, had eight rebounds, five assists, and had 22 points. Um, I, I can pull up turnovers. I'm sure it was probably a lower no, number. Yeah, it was very low. One, yeah, had, maybe zero. He had two, yeah, he had two turnovers. So, you know, playing 30 minutes and only having two turnovers as the dynamic ball handler is good. All that to say, and I I mentioned this before we jumped on, he's just he just looks really comfortable. And as a rookie, to just look like the game comes to you and be very comfortable, that's like step A. Everything yeah. else you can start to improve on, but if you just look like deer in a headlights out there, that's hard to change. And the fact that he doesn't and he feels really confident and comfortable out there, the other stuff will bound to happen. The problem is you got to get him minutes. And we talked about it a couple weeks ago, or, you know, a week ago. He was getting 15 minutes a game. And if that's your number three draft pick, your first round pick, that's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous, especially on the Hornets. Who like, who your starting guards are Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham. But, you know, no room for Mello, <laughs> Lamella. Like, and that just shows you, like, how, how ridiculous that franchise is. Like, you have the third pick in the NBA draft. Like, he should be getting third 25 30 minutes a game at least i don't care if he's ready or not you are a lottery team like it doesn't it doesn't matter if he's actually ready to be out there on you know an nba court right now you have to get him looks like he can't just sit on the bench you know watching because these guys in nba especially during the season yeah they have some practice time but that's not really what they're worrying about they're worrying about conditioning they worry about winning games uh, you know, and playing actual games. It's not like he's getting going out there and getting, you know, five-on-five five run, you know, during the regular season. Like, his, it's going to have to happen in games. So the fact that he started out getting nine minutes, 12 minutes, 15 minutes, was just asinine. Yep. So I am... I know it took a blowout, but I he was actually playing before it was a blowout. He was playing decent minutes before it was a blowout, and he was playing really well. I texted you, I think, at the end of the first or second. I think it was the end of the first, and I just said he had a really good stint the end of the first quarter. Yeah. He got a block. I think he got a steal, and he hit two threes, and, I'm, and he made a couple passes, and I'm like, all right, this this can last. I don't know if it's always going to be consistent. His, his thing is consistency. Can you do it every night? And sure. I'm not sure yet, but – at least what I saw last night, I'm, I'm encouraged by. So hopefully they, he gets more minutes, and I believe he will because he's going to keep playing well. Well, that's the thing about uh, – I think that is one of the things that separates a superstar or a star, an all-star from, like, just a regular NBA player because all those guys are good. All of them can get – you know, go out and get you 30, you know, on any given night or whatever. But can you do it consistently? Can you do it every single night, like the LeBrons, the Giannis's, the Durants and stuff? That's That's what separates – you know, and, the good and the great. And one thing that like we, you know, we may be able to talk about towards the middle of the year once we start to get more evidence, but it looks like that bubble effect really is coming into play. Oh, Tyler yeah. Hero hasn't looked as good. Jamal Murray hasn't looked as good. They've looked inconsistent. And that was the thing I was worried about. I know it's four games. I know it's five games. So like, let's give it some time. But, but when, when ball isn't the only thing you worry about, sometimes things can become inconsistent. And I hope that those guys end up, you know, getting back to what they were in the bubble. I just don't know if they will. Um, right. And so consistency is key. And, and some of these guys, that is the undoing of them, um, you know, as rookies. So um, we'll see what happens, you know, again, down the road. But 
All right, so those are our three apiece for overreactions, bound to change, and initial takeaways. We're going to take a break really quick, and then we will finish off this episode talking about the Buckeyes. All right, welcome back. Like I mentioned, we are going to finish off this episode talking about the Sugar Bowl that is happening in a day. We are recording this on New Year's Eve, so happy New Year's Eve, everybody. Um, And then tomorrow the Buckeyes play a national semifinal game. Um, It is a rematch against Clemson, the same rematch as last year, rematch of 2016, and then a game since Woody Hayes um, punched somebody from the other team. Uh, Clemson has never lost to Ohio State. They are, uh, what is that, 4-0 against Ohio State, I believe? That's right. Okay, um, before we get into predictions, let's just, quite frankly, break this down pretty quickly. Um, Clemson is favored now by 7.5. Some, I don't want to say breaking news, but some news is that Clemson's offensive coordinator and running backs coach will not be coaching. He has COVID. Uh, He will not be traveling. Obviously, he will not be at the game. Kirk Herbstreit also will not be there. I believe he also tested positive for COVID. So he'll probably be calling the game from home. Um, but but that is all notable because it seems like there may have to be some contract contract ta- contract tracing. Uh, nope, that's still not the right word. Anyway, um, tracing for COVID um, for Clemson. <laughs> it, contact tracing is the word I was contact looking for. Tracing. But um, uh, they're going to have to do some contact tracing. It sounds like they've already done that, and everybody has either come back clean, if you will. Um, and so it sounds like it's just going to be the coaches that aren't there. Um, but anyway, all that to say, a little bit of COVID controversy on their end, but nothing that really will hope, you know, I I want it to be as equal as possible in terms of like full strength and all that. So I'm glad that like none of the players are necessarily out, um, due to COVID, which is good. Um, but Joe, initial thoughts, I guess, on the game, you're much more reserved and, and, um, skeptical than I am. So. Absolutely, I am. I just don't. I have. There's nothing that I have seen out of this Ohio State team so far this year that tells me that they are. And I haven't watched a whole lot of Clemson, but there's nothing out of this Ohio State team this year that has told me that they are better than they were last year when they completely and utterly blew it against Clemson. Um, you know that that loss still stings. Um, you know, we're just. We're not as good as we were last year, and you know, and Clemson might not be either. I just don't see how we've replaced that top-level elite talent. I mean, we had how many people drafted in the first three rounds of the draft last year that you know we haven't replaced? I mean, ask yourself as a Buckeye fan: Do we have a suitable replacement for J.K. Dobbins? I mean, after the last, you know, after the Northwestern game, you can say maybe, but he's not J.K. Dobbins. Do we have a? Do we have a serviceable replacement for Chase Young on the defensive line? No, absolutely not. Okuda, Arnett, like those guys are top level talent that we're not replacing right now. So what? There's nothing that makes me think that this year could be different. Sad, sadly. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, just because you're right, like. I think by all accounts, if we're talking about just like elite level, last year was the team to do it, right? That would have been the team. Um, yeah. So it's unfortunate that like you look around and nothing is better. I would say the receivers are, are better because they're a year older. But like other than that, that's about it. Um, and I was hoping to say that Justin Fields was better. And I don't even know if I can say that 
um, just based off, again, what I've seen. So, yeah, the only thing that's giving me hope is basically that the football gods are going to grant us something and say that, like, hey, here's your your best football game you've ever, you know, here's the best game you've played all year. Justin Fields is going to look better than he has in any game. They're going to run the ball down Clemson's throat, and they're going to control the game. And it's going to be kind of like Urban Meyer, Michigan State, slash Jim Trestle, just every game kind of ball control. And I'm not even saying that's realistic, but that's what that's. I'm just hoping that. Um, so another thing that's given me hope is that Clemson's defensive captain is out for the first half of the game um, because he got that's a right. targeting call. He got a targeting call in the ACC championship, so he's out the first half. I'm not saying that Ohio State's going to go up like again like they did last last year, have the potential to be up like 21, 27, nothing in the first half, and then just like hold on because that's not going to happen. But without an offensive coordinator, without your defensive captain, all this stuff, hopefully they can they can hold serve and just kind of keep it even, or or hopefully take the lead in the first half and then maybe hold on for the rest. But again, that's a lot of wishful thinking. Um, all that to say, Joe, let's do it. What do you uh what do you think happens tomorrow night? I think Clemson wins by 17. I'm going to go out and say I'll say let's see 2037. I had a feeling you were going to say that. Yeah, um that sucks <laughs> because, because <laughs> like I just mentioned, or you know, before we jumped on this, I think there's two scenarios here. And like, if, again, if if it's like I have to pick one or the other, and your options were Clemson blows out Ohio State or, um, they win close, I would probably say they blow them out. I don't see a scenario where Clemson wins this game close. I think if it's close, it favors Ohio State because that means that they've beat the piss out of them like on the offensive and defensive line all night, and they're just gassed. Um, yeah, yeah, like it's a physical game if that's the case. So I think a close game favors Ohio State. I think a blowout probably means that Clemson wins. So I'm going to say that it is a very physical and close game and that Ohio State squeaks one out by three points and that they win 30-27. to 27. <coughs> However, however, you have the better approach because if you think they're going to get blown out and then Ohio State wins, you're just over the moon. I will be inevitably very, very hurt and sad um, and be drinking a lot, um, you know, when, when they lose. So oh. I'm going to go Ohio State 30-27, um, and you have Ohio State losing 37-20. to I I am going to be in the same boat for you on game day. Game day, I'm going to be, like, all in on them winning, and I'm going to be like, you know, okay, we got this, like, right yep. before kickoff, kickoff and everything like that. I'm just preparing myself for uh, mentally for a meltdown right now. So I understand. Um, and if you can't see people, you know, this isn't a video. It's obviously a podcast, but I'm wearing the sweatshirt from last year because I was at the game. I'm wearing the sweatshirt because I want to get all the bad vibes out of this sweatshirt before today. tomorrow. So I figured let's get it over with today. Let's rock right. the sweatshirt. And then tomorrow it'll be a lot better. But um, yeah, I, I'm with <laughs> you, though. I'll be, I'll be I'll be nervous all day for sure. But you're right in the fact that, um, like, if Ohio State is going to win or have a chance, they just have to muck this game. They have to win it in the trenches. They have to be physical. They have to put Clemson on their asses. Like, that's just really what's going to have to happen. So it's got to be it's got to be force Clemson to put eight in the box and throw over top. That that's 
or if they and I think I was reading this morning because a lot a lot of time last year they did like two high safety looks. If they go two high safety and only put seven dudes or six guys in the box, Ohio State should run the ball forty times a game. Yeah. If they go eight in the box and go single high and go man on you know man to man coverage on the outside, I believe Olave and Wilson can win those battles as long as Fields doesn't hold on to the ball too long and puts it on him. Yeah. It's all going to come down to Fields running the ball to to set up the pass. And, and you know, sorry, Ohio State with Fields and and Sermon slash Teague running the ball to set up the pass. That's what it right. is. Yep. All right, we're gonna we're gonna end this off with this, Joe. What do you believe is next for college football? Is it an expansion? Is it the same shit over and over? The college football invitational, which the four teams are always the same for the most part, or is it something different? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Basically, right now it is Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and then whoever they invite. So yep. uh, you know, super playoffs. So I think you you've got to see an expansion. Their contract isn't up till 2025, though, right? But now that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't expand it before then, but and they should expand it before then. But, uh, you know, it could be another four or five years before we see that actually happen. So I don't know what's next, but the system is rigged against anybody else uh, right now. If you are not already in that elite uh, package, it's even more and more. It's getting more and more difficult to get there. Like those three teams have separated themselves from everybody else. And recruiting rankings and and um, and playoff rankings and everything else. So, like, if you're Cincinnati, if you're Indiana, you don't even have a hope of like in the NCAA basketball tournament. Like, you know, those those underrated teams who you know get hot can win a couple games, and all of a sudden they're in the Sweet Sixteen. Like, we don't have that. We don't have true upsets anymore. Like, that doesn't happen, and that's really bad for the game of college football. Yeah, it, the playoff has changed recruiting. It's changed game planning. And dare I say, Ohio State cares not cares less. That's not fair. But Ohio State almost year in and year out is preparing for Clemson more than they're preparing for Michigan because Michigan has fallen off, and they know that one of those three teams, Clemson or Alabama, sorry, one of those two, Clemson or Alabama, is who they need to prepare for because that's how the system is set up. So, you know. Hopefully it changes because I want other teams to have a shot and other, I want recruiting to kind of not level out, but you know, become more equal. Um, but it is what it is right now. And hopefully there's an expansion, but I believe expansion is in the near future. In my opinion. It has to be. Yep. Just for the sake of the sport and money. Well, yeah, there's likeness coming up. There's likeness money coming up that might change some things, but I don't know when that's coming or, or how, Oh, what's up, man? <laughs> what's up little guy? All right. Anyway, that is going to wrap it up for another episode of In the Paint. Everybody listening, have a happy New Year's Eve and a happy New Year. And um, I hate to say this dad joke, but um, I'll see you next year. Stay safe. Go Bucks. Hey, go Bucks. Thanks, guys. You've been searching for the only one who knows what you're fighting for. I got what you want. I got what you need. I got what you need. I got what you need.